Hello and welcome to Search for Truth and the final program in this series with your Bible teacher Brian Johnston. Thanks for tuning in, it's great you could join us. And after several weeks of past studies on how to bring a greater reality to Bible study, prayer times and living with integrity at home and with the church and what it means to worship in spirit and truth and so on, Brian now intends to finish on a higher note with the subject of today's talk being living above mediocrity. So Brian, if we feel we're in a rut of complacency, how can the Bible help us rise above it? Well, John, we could begin with what Paul wrote to Timothy when he said, Kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That was in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. More recently, Amy Carmichael wrote, Oh, for a passionate passion for souls. Oh, for a pity that yearns. Oh, for the love that loves unto death. Oh, for the fire that burns. These quotes, I feel, set the scene for us. They invoke the imagery of someone on fire for God. That's always a remarkable sight, no less so than the burning bush that grabbed Moses' attention. It wasn't so much the burning that was extraordinary there, but the fact that it kept on burning. There was no burnout because God was in it. God is a consuming fire, but by his mercies we're not consumed. But there will be times when this world's chill factor will lower our spiritual temperature. It would appear that this was the case with Timothy, at very least, something had changed and he was less enthused about the things of God. It's good when God draws our attention to this kind of coolness and draws us back to himself in what we can rightly call revival. Jim Packer, in his book Keep in Step with the Spirit, tries to picture what revival looks like based on biblical examples among the kings of Judah and the later Jewish exiles who returned from captivity in foreign lands to rebuild their life of national service for God in Jerusalem. He draws the complete picture with four brushstrokes. These are God coming down, God's word coming home, God's purity coming through, and finally God's people coming alive. I would like to borrow those headings, which seem like an excellent starting point, and we'll try to develop each of them briefly. First, God comes down. Nowhere is this better captured than in the prophet Isaiah's prayer request. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. That's taken from Isaiah 64 and verse 1, of course. Revival brings a greater sense of God. And that's what's pictured here in an awesome sense of God's majesty being made known through the nearness of his power. At times, we can become lacklustre in our spiritual lives. It's as if we're like someone treading water but going nowhere. Things settle into a dull routine. We relax about the things of God, even rationalise a leisurely approach to prayer and praise. It's when God stirs us to cry out like Isaiah with the same great depth of feeling that communicates itself to us through the passion of the language used. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil to make your name known. Can we relate to times when we've got feelings like that? We are very conscious of our inadequacies and our inconsistencies. 
but we want God to have more of us and move us from our state of lethargy to higher ground. I'm writing this in the Philippines, and up in a remote mountain village where there's now a church of God, the young women once sang the words of the old hymn, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground, on heaven's tableland. Amy Carmichael, whom we heard from earlier, has another poem called God's Mountaineer, I think. And the thrust of it is that we should all aspire to leave the lowlands of mediocrity behind us in the passionate pursuit of a greater sense of God. Until now, we've used Old Testament examples, and it's true that in the church age, the Holy Spirit resides in each and every believer in the Lord Jesus. But there's the danger of him becoming quenched, and even entire church services can become perfunctory. Something of the same Old Testament sense is perhaps described in Paul's letter to Corinth about a church service. He says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, If therefore the whole church comes together and all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Of course, there's also the case of the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, where their love had become lukewarm and lacking the sense of the immediacy of God that we've just read about. The hymn writer captures what's desired in the words, and all assembled cause to feel the presence of our God. But that's only one brushstroke in this biblical painting of revival. Three to go, we must move on to the second, which we said was when God's word comes home. Staying with the prophet Isaiah, he also wrote, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. There's an impressive chapter in the book of Nehemiah. It's the eighth chapter, and describes the people all gathered as one before one of Jerusalem's gates, to listen to God's word being taught. In a real sense, this was the first time Bible exposition was done as it's done today. For there, those people heard the Bible read in what was no longer their mother tongue. While away in exile for 70 years, they'd lost their old language, at least for the most part. The Bible teachers that day had to explain its terms more carefully than ever before. We're told the Levites read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. But notice the next verse. The people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. And later it says, the people went away to celebrate because they understood the words which had been made known to them. That's the 12th verse of Nehemiah chapter 8. The report of that emotional day goes on to describe how they not only gained new insights, but they took immediate action to rectify past omission, putting what they had heard into practice. This is the second feature of true revival. It's when people feel the impact of the Bible's authority, a sharp contrast over against the silencing of the implications of the Bible from within the secular worldview. So if that's the second brushstroke, Now we come to the third. After God coming down and revealing something of his majesty, we then had God's word coming through. Next in sequence is when God's purity comes through. And it certainly did to Isaiah when God spoke to him in a vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah chapter 6, 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, and so on. Isaiah wasn't at the beginning of his prophetic ministry at this point in his life. He'd served God during the reign of the now-deceased king. But this was a step change for him. God had drawn close in a special way and spoken to him personally. And the most dramatic effect was to bring about a conviction of sin and an abhorrence of the guilt and ugliness of sin. Even among experienced Christians, God's holiness can become eclipsed by the narcissism of a self-absorbed form of evangelicalism. Finally, after God comes down, and after God's word has come home to our hearts, and after his purity then has come through to us, it's then finally that God's people come alive. This is the fourth brushstroke of revival. They come alive with a holy boldness to intercede, to witness, to worship, this can be in stark contrast to the slumber of some who remain faithful to Victorian forms without the freshness of an up-to-date experience of God. There's an interesting thing recorded of David, the king, in Psalm 78, verse 65. It says, Then the Lord awoke as if from sleep. What does this mean? Does God really fall asleep? Well, no, this is poetry. Psalm 78 is a long psalm, which traces the history of God's people Israel in Old Testament times. It traces the ebb and flow of their spiritual condition throughout the period when the land was ruled by judges, down to the time of Samuel. Even in his days, a man who'd great influence with God through his godly praying, even in his time, disaster happened to the people, and the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolised God's presence among his people, that was captured by the enemy. God said it was as if his glory had left them. Things were indeed at a very low ebb. Then the Lord awoke from sleep. This was the awakening in David's heart as God raised him up to play a role in bringing in better times for his people. It wasn't permanent, however, and God would later, again through the prophet Isaiah, describe dark times that his people would pass through as the call came to them again, Arise, shine, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah 16, verse 1. When our lives too are dull and sleepy, and we're in danger of losing a clear sense of the reality of it all, then we too need to draw near to God, such that he draws near to us, as James 4 and 8 says. The way we do that is by engaging seriously with his word, turning what we read into prayer. This will inevitably lead us purifying our hearts as we humble ourselves in God's presence as James chapter 4 goes on to say. 
It's this that then energises our ongoing service for God, making us to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, as Romans 12 verse 11 says. Well, I pray these thoughts will be used by God to stir us to get real, for the thing the Lord spoke against so often when he walked this planet was the empty pretense, the hypocrisy of the lives of people around him. We're at the end of the series now, but the transcripts of all the talks are available in the book called Getting Real. If you'd like a copy or you've got a question or comment, then do get in touch. You can write in by post or email. I'll give you the contacts uh, in a moment, but the talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet, either in audio or text format. And to obtain the book, you simply ask for Get Real. So you can do this by email or by post, as I said. And here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. I hope you enjoyed today's programme and the series, if you've been following week by week. It's been great to have you with us. Brown will be starting a new series next week called A Crisis of Identity, and it'd be marvellous if you're able to join us. But until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So cheerio, and may God richly bless you. Whoa.